Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Anne Blythe. Anne Blythe is the producer and host of the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast and founder of Betrayal Trauma Recovery, a daily online support group for women victims of emotional abuse with multiple sessions a day in every time zone. Anne is frequently a requested guest at events such as the National Center on Sexual Exploitation Global Summit. Learn more at BT. We're going deep on this episode. I'm talking with my friend, Anne Blythe, who is going to be shedding lots of light around the topics such as gaslighting, emotional, and psychological abuse. If you're being lied to, manipulated, and feeling unsafe in your relationship, only to reach out and hear things like, you just need to communicate better, you're going to find so much validation and relief in this episode. Grab a pen and piece of paper for notes because Anne is going to be dropping lots of truth bombs. Here we go. Okay, everybody, you are in for a treat today because I have my friend Anne Blythe with us. And well, this is a bit of a heavier episode. You know, sometimes we talk about what betrayal does to the body and mind, which is that that's not like a light topic at all. And sometimes we talk about just other things. But today we're actually talking about emotional safety. And that is something that absolutely comes into question when we're in relationships with other people. So emotional safety and the three myths about domestic abuse. And I brought the absolute expert in to help us with that. So welcome, Anne. Thank you for having me. It's so good to be here, Debbie. Absolutely. So glad to have you. Let's just dive right in here. So many people use physical safety as the metric for, uh, to gauge domestic abuse. Why is it that you feel emotional safety is a, is a bigger determinant of it? Yeah, I don't think that there's ever a physical incident that occurs, a physical abuse incident that does not also include before that and after that emotional and psychological abuse. Mm. I, I don't believe a physical violent episode can just take place in a vacuum unless it's someone that you don't know that's just like randomly on the street. But if it's somebody that you have a relationship with, there has been elements of emotional and psychological abuse that precede that physical event. So my goal at Betrayal Trauma Recovery is to help women identify these emotional and psychological abuse situations before a physical event happens. And interestingly enough, women who have experienced a physical abuse episode tell us that it's much easier to heal from someone punching you in the face, which sounds terrible, right? Mm -hmm, Nobody mm -hmm. wants to be punched in the face. Mm -hmm. You have a bruise, you know, it's there, you know, what happened, people know what happened. But when it comes to emotional and psychological abuse, the time that it takes to heal and to unravel the truth of what happened is so much more heart wrenching and long term. And that is usually what women are really having a hard time healing from. I would say apart from women who are in serious physical danger where they have a, you know, a very violent person coming after them all the time um, with, with your typical run of the mill, emotional and psychological abuse episodes or, or abusers, it's just much harder to recover from emotional and psychological abuse. You know, that makes so much sense. And it's true. It's, it's almost like just because you don't see 
the the scar or the reminder doesn't mean it's not there and it's so much more it can be so much more profound and i think also because with that emotional and psychological abuse we add our own thoughts and emotions to it and question and wonder and and there are so many things that that get added to it that it's so much harder to make sense out of there's also um i would say a misinformed and miseducated public or community or society, church, church people who, when you try to tell them what's going on and they'll say things like, oh, well, are you having enough sex? Or maybe he's just stressed about his job or, you know, other things. And so, because it's not just psychological abuse coming from an abuser, but also well-meaning, kind people who genuinely want your relationship to survive. They want you to be happy are accidentally gaslighting you. And mm -hmm. so then you have to cut through all that societal stuff. And that also makes it so hard for victims. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because I remember even in the study that I did, there were a lot of my study participants who left their religion completely because they didn't feel their religion was supporting them during this traumatic time, or they moved towards the spiritual part of their religion, or just, you know, like I said, abandoned it completely. And this is, this I found to be surprising because we move towards religion for that sense of closeness and oneness and all of those things. Is that something you typically see? Or is it the struggle of, you know, here you go to these people who you're looking for help and that's not yeah. what they're receiving. I think one of the things religious women are looking for is accountability. So their particular faith does not tolerate abuse. No faiths are like, oh, we love abusers, right? And so when they recognize, wait a minute, my husband, and in, for betrayal trauma recovery, we speak in a gender segregated way because my organization only helps women victims of male perpetrators. So mm -hmm. I will speak mm -hmm. in that gender segregated way. But before I say that, I want to recognize that the betrayal can happen on both sides and men and women use pornography, for example. So I always bring pornography into it because we've got a lot of women of faith who are under the impression that their husband who is attending church, he's reading the Bible with them at home. He's instigating family prayer. He's helping out in their community is a commandment keeper, let's call it that. And when they discover that he has been lying to them, or there's another word for that, and that's psychological abuse for years, living a double life, perhaps viewing pornography, maybe soliciting prostitutes, you know, some other forms of psychological abuse in this context, then they're like shocked and they know that their church community does not condone this type of behavior. So they are looking for help of holding this man accountable. So they go into their clergy or they go into, you know, some therapists and say, Hey, this is what's going on. And the, the answer to that, um, unfortunately is usually something like, well, you need to go to marriage counseling or let's work on these communication issues or something like that. And because it's not a communication issue, because it's not a marriage issue, because it is an abuse issue, they're digging in the wrong place. And this keeps victims stuck in this emotional and psychological abuse for years. I mean, we have women who have tried to go to clergy for help over and over and find themselves more abused in the process, which is really unfortunate because I do think the clergy genuinely wants to try and help them. 
I'm so glad you're bringing this up because it's so true. You see it, I see it as well, where someone goes for that support and then they're met with, if someone is not highly skilled in this, they're, they're met with, you know, as if their scenario wasn't painful enough. Now they're getting blamed for it somehow. Yep. Or, or tried to be made to have partial responsibility in some way when they have none and what they really need help with. And that's what we do at betrayal trauma recovery is setting boundaries for safety, making sure they're emotionally safe. A lot of clergy will say something like, well, do you feel safe? Do you think he would ever hit you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They focus on that rather than saying it's not safe to be in a relationship with someone who is continually lying to you. That is not a safe situation. And um, that really needs to be focused on. And and let's focus on that because, you know, before it gets physical, if it does get physical, there are those emotional behaviors. What would be some behaviors that the the women in, in, you know, this scenario would look out for to say, oh my gosh, that is abuse. And that's something that is happening to me every single day. Yeah, I think it's really important to know what the abuse cycle looks like. A lot of people call that honeymoon phase. Uh, honeymoon phase. I actually call it a grooming phase. So when you see this cyclical situation happening in your relationship where you have really super good times, but then it's almost like a Jekyll and Hyde situation where you have this grooming period where it seems amazing and incredible. And then a devaluing period where you're like, wait a minute, he's not listening to me. He doesn't seem to care within an actual like abuse episode where you find out that he's been lying and that or pornography use that you didn't know about something that you didn't know about and then it goes back into then he blames you for it right um also picking up on some gaslighting which is very very difficult and i want to stop here can you just just share what is gaslighting for anybody listening who isn't familiar there are a lot of definitions of gaslighting the one that i use is when Someone who is trying to hide something um, decides to alter your reality so that you live in an alternate reality with them. And because you're living in this alternate reality with them, you can't see the signs of what's really happening. Here's one example. Let's say that your husband stays late after work to view porn. That's where he does it. And he he you thought he was going to be home at six for dinner. Let's just say that. And he gets home at seven. And all you say is, oh, I thought you were going to be home at six. That's it, right? Instead of saying, oh, I'm sorry, I stayed late viewing porn. (laughs) That would be the honest thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of doing that, he'll say, you don't respect my job. You never care about me. I do so much around here and you're always on my back. You're always nagging me. And suddenly it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I do respect you. Okay. I won't ask you questions about why you're late home from your job. It's this thing where suddenly the reality that he wants you to live in, which is not reality, is that he is a really good person and he's working so hard and you need to respect him and care about him more. And if you just did this and this and this, then things would be better for you. And this happens constantly in an emotional and psychologically abusive relationship. And um, we see it a lot around uh, their porn use where they're trying to hide it. They're trying to make sure that you don't find out that they're living a double life or that they're having an affair or something like that. Wow. And and so it's like enough to throw someone off kilter. 
and have them yes. question even their very sanity. And everybody who's listening, watching, I want you to, if you found your, you want to walk around almost with a pad and pen, you know, journaling things to, for your proof, you know, mm -hmm. this is what you said and whatever, this is not you. You are, you're, it's like you're in the web. You are in this web and you don't even realize you're in it. And the idea is if you're thrown off enough uh, to keep you questioning and, and it throws off your level of confidence and, and everything, then that person is sort of free to continue the behavior mm -hmm. because they know they they've got you. It's, it's not just that. I mean, it's, it's enough of psychological abuse to yeah. not tell someone the truth of this magnitude in their relationship, but it's also very abusive to make the victim think it's their fault. That is also, that's just a continuation and, and a, a, you know, compounding of the abuse. So you've got a victim who doesn't know she's being abused. She doesn't know she's being cheated on. And then to compound that, she thinks she needs to lose weight or make dinner better or be a better communicator or use I statements or pray more, you know, in the religious community that I think that's one serious victim blaming situation that happens. If you just read your Bible enough and you pray enough um, and you have enough faith, you can save your family, that sort of thing that um, doesn't help women actually get to safety, which is, I think, and I, I, I'm, I'm a religious person. I love prayer, but Heavenly Father or God or whoever your God is, is going, if you believe in that, wants you to take action to get yourself to safety. And what do you find most women say to themselves and feel about themselves when this is happening to them? Uh, I think there's a lot of stages of this. Um, it's interesting when I talked with you, you talk about stages of recovery quite mm -hmm. a bit. Mm -hmm. And with betrayal trauma recovery, I feel like we are like the ER. We're like the emergency room. We're like the, like, yeah. we're not kind of worried about your long-term healing here. Mm -hmm. we're, we're worried about your immediate safety and how we can help you get there. Mm -hmm. So the stages that we talk about when um, you're dealing with this are first of all, thinking that something's not quite right and wondering what it is. Mm -hmm. And um, when you start down that path, the first things will just be regular things like he's stressed about work mm -hmm. or um, you're just newly married, you know, you're just getting used to each other or things like that, like regular, normal things. So then you go through the process. So, and before you, yeah. And even before you get to that next one, it's sort of like, this would be the stage where, and I love how you said that because it really seems like you're the part one, I'm the part two. So yeah. there's room for everybody. Uh, it seems like in that first stage, this is where we may be justifying behavior. Something doesn't feel right. Our, our intuition is telling us mm, something isn't quite right here, but we're making excuses because we, we don't have a clue. We don't see anything uh, that, that clearly lets us know something's wrong, but something just seems a bit off. Would yes. that be correct in saying that? Okay, yes. that's stage one. Okay. Yep. And the second stage, is, and also in stage one, you kind of talk to people about it. Right. Mm -hmm. You, you put your toe out in the water a little bit and you never get, this is abuse back. You right. never get that. So you're thinking, okay. Hmm. So then what happens is he gets the better job or you move into a better house or, mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever the excuse was that was happening, you recognize, well, that's not happening anymore. So that's kind of confusing. Mm -hmm. I would say the second stage is self-blame. Mm -hmm. So this is where you're like, okay, well, now that we're, he has a better job, maybe I need to give him more sex or maybe I'm not like fun enough 
I'm not spontaneous enough, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. also this is, um, a lot of women get stuck in the trap in this stage where they think that like, they don't want to be that woman, right? They don't want to be the controlling woman or they don't mm -hmm. want to be the whatever what, what society has said, don't be a Karen. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, I'm not like that. I'm not prude. I'm not controlling. I'm not this. I'm not that. So they're kind of trying to prove something here that like, I can do this mm -hmm. and I'll do that for a while. And then stage three, which I think is the hardest when they start realizing that it's an abuse issue, when they start realizing that nothing has worked and then they start calling it that. And then it's almost like they get more abused because people are like, no, 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 he's a good guy. You're going a little crazy. You need to calm down. You know, mm -hmm. you're overreacting. And that is to push through the, the pushback when you get to that point is very, very difficult. And then stage four would be when you actually start to set real boundaries and get to safety. Okay. So that just makes so much sense because at first we think something's off. We kind of sense something's off, but we're not quite sure. Then we start blaming ourselves because it's like, maybe I should be more fun. I should do this. I should do that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Then it, it just, uh, just to reiterate what you said, then we're realizing um, this is an abuse issue and we start talking to people about it. And now this is the big trap here because we're not getting the validation, the acknowledgement, mm -hmm. the support that we need. Um, and then uh, the fourth stage is, I guess we, we really need to set some real boundaries and our, and our safety is in question. So what would, let's just go into some of the myths. What would be some of the myths right here that someone uh, is told that is absolutely not true when they're in any one of these four stages? So number one is that abuse is a communication issue. It's never a communication issue. I have met some of the most amazing women who communicate so well, and they're not able to communicate their way out of abuse. So I would say that's number one. And I just want to stop you there. If there are any uh, coaches, therapists, healers, please hear that one. Please hear that one. That it is not, if, if someone is being abused, it is not a communication issue. And I'm not saying don't take full and complete responsibility for whatever your role is within the relationship. Uh, what I am saying, if, if you're being emotionally, psychologically abused, and uh, it, at no point is it that you're not communicating well, you are flat out being abused. Is that a correct thing to, Absolutely. am I saying that right? Okay. That yeah. would be number one. What's the next? Yeah, one? it's, uh, the next one would be, well, I didn't want to stop you. Did, were you gonna... Oh, no, no, that's oh, okay. fine. It's, it, it goes along with this. It's that, um, couple therapy mm -hmm. is a good idea in this scenario. So a lot of people are having problems and their clergy or friends will be like, well, wow, you guys really need to go to couple therapy. I mean, that's a frequent thing that people say. It's mm -hmm. probably the first thing people say, and that is a very bad idea. And mm -hmm. the reason is, um, couple therapists, like people who do couple therapy, I'm not talking about therapists in general. I'm just talking about couple therapists, mm -hmm. their licensure, everything about that is that you see the couple as equals, right? You've got two people and they've both got their own issues. And then you need to come together to come on to have some kind of solution with abuse. It's never on an equal playing field. And so generally what happens during those couples therapy sessions is that the abuser is able to manipulate the therapist as well. They're not willing to tell the truth. They're not willing to be humble. They're not willing to be accountable. And so what you have in couple therapy is usually a, 
a victim who is being more and more abused through the process. Now, some couple therapists might have the wherewithal to be like, stop, this is an abuse situation. We're not doing this anymore. We can't do mm-hmm. couple therapy anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's great. At betrayal trauma recovery, we get all the horror stories, right? So, so we don't get the like, oh, we had such a great experience. We went to two couple therapy meetings. And then the second one, she identified the abuse and shut it down, right? Like we don't hear stories like that. We hear the horror stories every day. So I wish I had some positive stories, but um, because we get the horror stories, that's sort of where we're at. And we hear so many of them. Yeah. And, and that's really important too, because I, you know, hear the, the woman in, in this instance is feeling like it's a huge help that she's that her husband is is willing to right. go to therapy, and meanwhile, if this therapist isn't doesn't see what a gaslighter, narcissist, whatever does, they are just you know they're very charismatic. They mm-hmm. fall for the crocodile tears and all of that, and and yep. then that person who's been betrayed or abused actually feels worse because now again they're being blamed for something, and it is not. Uh, equal territory, like you said. Right. So one thing I always say is why, because people always ask, why don't women get out of abusive relationships? And I think the number one answer is they don't know that they're in one. Mm. So when these people, when these women go to couple therapy and they think, oh, I have one of the good ones because he's willing to go to therapy. He's willing to try. Um, They can't articulate, generally speaking, that they're being abused because they don't know. So unless the therapist is really, really versed on abuse and helps them identify it, then you can see that this is just a continued cycle of chaos where you're not going to get anywhere. And so many women have had really bad experiences. Yeah. And then are are there any more myths that you would say? Yeah, there's one more. And I think this one is um, particular to my audience, I would say. And that is that um, pornography use is just entertainment. I believe that the pornography industry is an abusive industry and that anyone using pornography without giving their wife consent, for example, uh, a woman, her sexual boundaries are that she's not into a man who uses porn, right? Mm -hmm. She doesn't want that type of relationship. So um, in that case, his secret pornography use is a consent issue. And that consent issue is really important. And when you have a consent issue like that with information that's really important, that's also called sexual coercion. And I think women need to recognize the level of deceit that is implicit in that situation. It's, it's not just that he's a guy and he likes porn, right? Because in that case, he would just say, I'm a guy and I like porn and I'm gonna use porn mm-hmm. and that's who I am. And then she could make a better, more informed decision. But in this case where it's hidden, it's not just a like, you know, little entertainment problem. This is a sexual coercion problem, which is also an abuse problem. And I really want that to hit home to people that this is serious. And it's not something that you have to be like, well, I don't, I don't, I feel like something's off and I don't really like his porn use and I'm kind of confused, but you know, I'm just being too whatever, or, you know, I think women can say to themselves, no, I deserve better than this. And I, I have a right to be able to set boundaries around my own sexual life. And I think the, the biggest piece that I'm getting from this is any aspect of your, your relationship where something is hidden and where yeah. there is a lack of truth 
right? Yes. It could be, it, 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 it's almost like, yes, the, the porn issue, but it's really about if that yeah. relationship is going to be living on a rock solid foundation, that foundation yeah. is built on trust. And Absolutely. anything that's hidden or anything that isn't uh, out there in the open and, you know, for fear of, oh, then I'm going to be found out or told no or whatever. That's the issue right there. Yeah. That's the part that needs. Work. I tell a story that people are like, what are you talking about? This isn't a big deal. I say, you know, if someone told you, if your spouse told you, Hey, I'm not going to go to McDonald's ever again. And you're like, great. I support you. Right. And one day they go to McDonald's and they come home and they're like, I went to McDonald's. I'm sorry. You know, you'd be like, Hey, it's okay. I love you. You know, whatever. It wouldn't be a big deal, but also it's not your thing. You haven't mm -hmm. said, I feel uncomfortable in a relationship with someone that goes to McDonald's, right? Mm -hmm. However, even if this, even in this scenario, let's say you go out into your car and you find a, a McDonald's wrapper mm -hmm. and you pick it up and you take it in and you say to your husband, Hey, I found this McDonald's wrapper. Even in this benign scenario, if he says, I don't know what that is. I've never been to McDonald's. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what you're talking about. You must be crazy. You went to McDonald's and you probably left the wrapper there. I mean, even in a benign scenario like that, that is severe psychological abuse. Yeah. And people need to recognize that like th th they're doing this about benign things, but they're also doing it about very serious things like sexual betrayal. Wow. Okay. So how can, how can women assess their emotional safety? They're hearing this now. They're, they're, you know, hearing, oh my gosh, you know what? Maybe it is this. And maybe I was just thinking that's where he, what, you know, what he was doing or wasn't doing because he said so, but you know something, I have a feeling there's more to it. Walk us through that. Uh, I wish there was some magic, like, whoa, you can know today <laughs> if you're safe. It's, unfortunately kind of a process. And again, I think that's what the domestic violence community who I adore and love and support kind of is confused about. They're like, just get out. Right. And you're like, well, you're, you have to sort of figure out what's going on. The first thing is to actually focus on emotional safety and know what it means to be emotionally safe. A lot of women, we ask that question and they don't even know. They're like, what do you mean? And you're like, and it so, could be because they've never felt safe. It could this, be, you know, yeah. they're coming from a scenario where they net from, you know, just where they were raised, they never felt a sense of safety or security. So then they go ahead and they choose a partner and it's not that it's good. It's just that it's so familiar. It's what they know. It's like, exactly. okay, this feels like something I'm very familiar with. So, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's to know so, that. Yeah. Know what emotional safety is. Um, some of the thing, and it's going to be a process, like I said, so listening to my podcast would be helpful to women. It's not something that you can do like an hour seminar on, mm -hmm. but, but for really quickly, you're not going to be ever emotionally safe with someone who's lying to you with someone who's willing to manipulate you with someone who is more concerned with their secret behaviors than they are about your feelings. Yeah. You're never going to be safe with someone who is willing to violate your sacred trust of things you genuinely really care about. I'm not talking about like your favorite color is red. And so you're kind of like, please don't wear that red shirt. I mean, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about serious um, core values that you have expressed that they know about that they are willing to throw out the window and hide. So um, I think to, to determine that as a process, I always recommend that women start setting really small boundaries. Mm -hmm. For example, if they are used to being the one to always initiate conversations, 
and they feel like, you know what, I don't really feel safe because I'm always the one that has to bring this up. I'm always the one who has to do this. That maybe a first step would be, let me back off a little bit. Let me mm-hmm. see what happens. Um, in some women's cases, they've always been the one to initiate sort of a repair discussion, for mm-hmm, example. Mm-hmm. And then they decide, you know what, I'm just going to detach and sit back and set the boundary of, you know, detaching and see what happens. And literally he never, ever, ever repairs. And then it's like, whoa, I am not safe in this relationship because I'm the only one managing the, like the couple ship here. And so there's, right. it there's sounds like you elements of it. Yeah. It's almost like you're saying if the only way this relationship quote unquote works is if I, uh, initiate the conversation, what happens mm-hmm. if I don't, and if nothing happens, that's your clue right there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And it's this so- it's, yeah, it sounds like boundaries are really, let's talk a little bit more about boundaries. So, uh, it, it seems like, and maybe this is the first time you put some boundaries in place, but it's a way to assess where mm-hmm. you are in all of this and how safe you are. Yeah. When you start to think about boundaries and assessing your safety, it's really important to have a support network around you. So at betrayal trauma recovery, we have multiple sessions a day in our group in every single time zone. So women can get on and just be like, Hey, this is what I'm experimenting with. It is an experimentation phase and it's crazy important to have a really robust support system. So that's why we do ours where it's like unlimited life support every month. You can get on a you know, you could get on four times a day, every single day, all the time, if you wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why <clears throat> that's so important is because this experimentation, it's going to get worse before it gets better. So in some cases, you'll start setting boundaries and sort of, you know, toying around. And some, in some cases, he'll be like, oh, I didn't realize I was doing this. I'm so sorry. I recognize now that I need to, you know, whatever. In some cases he's going to do that, but that's not real. It's a grooming. It's grooming. Mm-hmm. In some cases, the abuse will just flat out escalate. He'll, he'll become physically violent, for example, or he'll mm-hmm. start doing other crazy stuff. So because it's a very volatile time and, and so many women cannot tell the difference between a true change and grooming which if you know what you're looking for, it can be pretty clear, but it's really hard for women when they first start out. So this boundary phase, I guess the thing I would say about it is that it's just really important to have a really robust network of support when you start trying it, because it's going to be dicey for a while before you get to safety. I'm so glad you're bringing this up. And I say this all the time in my community, you know, nothing changes if nothing changes. So you're bringing about these changes and you cannot expect what you had. Yes, you're shaking things up with the, uh, you know, to unearth what was hidden. And hopefully you have the opportunity to heal it at that point. But if you're met with something even worse, well, then this person, you're calling them out on their stuff and then you take it, you, you take it from there. What do you want everyone to know as we wrap up? Abuse is something that is bigger than any of us. It is a societal problem. In many cases, it is a misogynistic problem. It's a problem perpetuated by rape culture, by pornography, by all types of different um, societal scripting, religious scripting. So when women are thinking like, what, you know, me or whatever, like, I know I've been there. (laughs) We've all been there, but it is not about you. It really genuinely is about abuse. And that being said, 
Like I'm a dreamer. I want to make the world a better place. I want world peace. And the best way to help the world is to make your own home a sanctuary of safety and peace. And if you can start with that, which is all you can do, right? You can't do anything else, especially if you're in survival mode, but you're going to not only make your life a lot better and eventually you'll be able to heal, right? Once that abuse stops and you're away from it, then you can start those stages that Debbie always talks about and start that healing process. Um, but I want you to think about that you'll also be making the world a better place. And I, I think that that's exciting. And I actually think that that's where hope lies. And if women can see it as part of a bigger picture, then I, I'm not sure, but I think that helps them move through the process a little quick, more quickly. I love that. And, and, you know, and I don't mind throwing some, some guilt at it too, because that works as well. Uh, if you have children, this is an opportunity to teach them something so powerful as they see their, their mom, their aunt, their friend rising above and, and really doing something really good with something really bad. So where do we go to learn more about you and the wonderful work you do? So our website is btr.org for betrayal trauma recovery. On our website, we have all of the podcasts transcribed so that people can read them, especially if women like want to engage in this, but they don't really want their husband to hear. They can actually read the pod, read the transcripts. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, every major podcasting app. It's called Betrayal Trauma Recovery. On our website, we have a books page. Debbie's books are on our books page. It's btr.org backslash books. That just takes people right to Amazon, but it's a curated list of books that we recommend. I recently came out with a book called Trauma Mama Husband it's Drama. Wonderful. Which is a picture book for adults. I wanted something that someone could give really quickly, just like that their clergy could read through or friends or family. That was a really quick read. Because if you hand somebody like, you know, a big 300 page book, it's kind of difficult for them sometimes. So I just want to, and also the, the pictures are visceral. Mm -hmm. So people can really get that visceral reaction. And then, like I mentioned, our daily online group, which is live, we invented this long before COVID. So it's actually pretty exciting that it fits right within those standards. Um, I, I built it the way I did so that women never have to get childcare. They never have to set an appointment. They can do it in their closet. You know, if their kids are having a hard time, they can leave their iPad in their closet, go out, help their kids, go back in. And like I mentioned, there's multiple sessions a day in every single time zone. So women can just hop on at any time and it's, it, they can cancel anytime there. We didn't want to make it at all so that they felt obligated, but just so that it is complete support for them anytime they need it. And at a, at a time where they need it the most. Absolutely. Exactly. And the session schedule is available at btr.org. Wonderful. I want to thank you so much for your wisdom, for your insight, and for the amazing work you're doing. You're helping so many people and families because, because of the work you do. So I'm, I'm just so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Anne shared so many golden nuggets, and I hope it has you realizing that you're not alone and you're not crazy. Stay in touch with Anne by going to btr.org, and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. When you're dealing with someone who is gaslighting you, it's not the honeymoon phase, it's the grooming phase. And these are the stages that you're likely to go through. 
One, you're feeling like something isn't quite right. Your your intuition is giving you a little nudge that's telling you something is off. Two, you start blaming yourself. I need to be more fun. I need to be sexier. I need to be more easygoing. Things like that. Three, you start realizing it's an abuse issue and start calling it that, which doesn't always resonate with those you say that to. Four, the need and the opportunity to set real boundaries and understand when you do, it's likely to get worse before it gets better because you're changing the rules and that's exactly what you need to do. Of course, all of this craziness takes a toll on you. So see where you're starting by taking the post-betrayal syndrome quiz, which you can find at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz. And have you checked out the PBT Institute membership community? Imagine everything you'd ever need to become your physical, mental, emotional best. Community, support, certified coaches and practitioners you could schedule time with, daily classes on all kinds of interesting topics, curated experts teaching advanced strategies in the areas of health, mindset, spirituality, personal development. Imagine the most friendly, welcoming, and supportive place to become your best all online. Nothing like this exists. And I am so excited to welcome you. Go to thepbtinstitute.com forward slash join to learn more. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.